Things to do before you run out of air. Bedtime Stories for Grown-Ups by Matt Willis-Jones. Episode 1. Panda Woman and the MG. Okay, so we're ready. Really? Okay. Yes. Right, well, I guess it all started when I killed my friend's dog. I'd gotten divorced. This friend of mine let me stay at his family house. And he had a dog called um, Odin. I, I didn't call it Odin. I called it Dog. I say, hello, Dog. Good so evening, you were dog. like on first name basis? No, I was on no name basis. Okay. Hello, Dog. Good evening, Dog. What are you doing behind that door, Dog? You've lived here for 12 years. You know it opens the other way. One evening, I came home. I looked it in the eyes and I called it by its name. I said, good night, Odin. And it collapsed and died. <sighs> I thought it went to sleep, okay, because I don't know much about dogs. It was admittedly a bit sudden, but the next morning, the dog bowl was gone. The daughter was in tears. I was the last person to have seen the dog alive, and I couldn't explain why it was no longer alive. So all in all, I thought it was a good time to leave. I um, found a place within two minutes on the internet, owned by a lady called Julie. There was something a little bit creepy about her. She smiled all the time like an air hostess. One of the first things she said to me was, it's very important you like dogs. (laughs) And um, I decided to keep quiet about my recent experience because I needed somewhere to live like tomorrow. So I said to her, I'll take the room. She tells me that uh, she'd had a terrible accident that had prevented her from pursuing her dream career. Uh, Do I want to know what? She wanted to be a policewoman. Okay. The accident was that she fell off a horse. The same horse that was printed on the coffee mug she was drinking out of, which I thought was a bit like having a picture of the car that killed your yeah. family, you know? <laughs> it's like <laughs> totally. a, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, anyway, I ask, oh, and uh, why did you want <laughs> to be a cop? And she says, I love rules. People who love rules are people who have a problem making their own moral judgments. And people who smile all the time and And. love rules, (laughs) there's no reasoning with these people. They're going to give you that parking ticket even if you're 30 seconds late. (laughs) Anyway, I uh, I threw two months rent and a deposit into her bank account. I move in. Every day, I was getting a text message from her at work. You put the wrong cup in the wrong cupboard. You hung the wrong towel on the wrong hook. Oh, my God. You left the window slightly open in the kitchen. For me, the final straw came on the sixth day. When I go out with a friend of mine, she misses her last train home. So I sent Julie a message, and I said, uh, if you get up to go to the toilet in the middle of the night, don't be alarmed. There's a lesbian on the sofa. And I got a message back from her immediately. No fucking way is anyone sleeping on the sofa. So I thought to myself, well, this is really a difficult situation because I'm paying to live here. Uh, The next day, I go into the kitchen and Julie is uh, sitting at the kitchen table. She's not got the air hostess smile anymore. And I'm thinking, like, how am I going to address this situation? You know, I'm not going to say I'm such a coward. I avoid conflict at all costs. But uh, at most costs, I avoid (laughs) conflict. You know, it's like um, I try not to, especially when I've just started living with someone. 
But it turns out Julie is not mad with me. She's mad with her grandfather, who she has just reported for posting a racist video on Facebook. Her 85-year-old grandfather. And I, I said, well, look, you know, all 85-year-olds are racist, you know, just, it's not that simple. He has children. Oh, well, of course he has children. And, He's and, your grandfather. And like grandchildren, uh, yeah. Apparently that was lost on her, so okay, move on. <laughs> and on the wall, she had all these pictures of zebras, or zebras, depending on which side of the Atlantic you grew up in. Black and white horses. I know, yeah. but I'm just wondering why. Well, I said, I see you like black and white animals. And she goes, no, I'm terrified of pandas. Pandas, the, the black and white bears. And she goes, yes, if one came running at me, I don't know what I'd do. We know what I expected her to say, but that was a surprise answer. And she says, well, you're on YouTube. You must have seen all these videos of pandas killing people. And I said, oh, I've seen videos of baby pandas going down slides, you know. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, look, here's one. She's on her laptop. And she shows me a video from 1992 of a panda ripping off a man's jacket. Okay. Oh, here's another one. And it's the same video uploaded by someone else. And then she's like, I can't understand why I can't find any videos of pandas killing people. There's usually loads of videos of pandas killing people. And she's scrolling furiously. The screen is a black and white blur. You know? <laughs> and I said, okay, listen, maybe your attitude towards pandas has something in common with your grandfather's attitude towards Muslims. Okay, I'm just putting that out there, right? Ten tense days go by. There was some awful incident involving the toilet and dog hairs. Oh, because I didn't mention about dogs. The thing is, she didn't have a dog herself, but she looked after dogs, right? Okay. She looked after other people's dogs, some of them big, some of them small, three different dogs a week, you know? Okay. Uh -huh. And that's what she did instead of being a policewoman, right? Her idea of looking after dogs was locking them in the kitchen, turning on the radio and leaving the house for eight hours. One day at work, I got a message from her because we had this one dog called Happy, it's the most depressed-looking animal I've ever seen. It just looked like it was waiting to die. And I did try to help it along. Good night, Happy, but nothing happened. Didn't you know? work, okay. No, my, my, you, you lost the touch. Yeah, and she sent, yeah, she sent me this message. What the hell happened after I left? She says, Happy was fine when I left and fine when I came back, but the floor's all scratched up. And I said, well, maybe in the eight hours you were gone, he yeah. wasn't so fucking happy. You know? <laughs> and, uh, she says, well, if he's acting strange when you get back, call the police. I thought to myself, well, it's a good thing you didn't become a policewoman because your idea of the emergency services is clearly <laughs> yes, from no, storybooks no, no, no. where firemen rescue cats from trees. You know? <laughs> so, anyway, sorry, I went on a bit of a tangent there, yeah. Then one day, after 10 days, I come home and uh, Julie is standing in the middle of the living room with her arms crossed and she says, I know that was you. I'm like, what? And on the floor next to her are a large pair of black and white fluffy panda slippers. And next to that, a box in the post office. And she goes, no one else knows about my fear of pandas. No one else knows the address. And I said, look, I think it's fucking hilarious, but it's got nothing to do with me. <laughs> and I go into detective mode and I'm thinking, well, how, who could this be? Oh, it was my friend, Ida. You wouldn't let her sleep on the sofa. You told I told her. her about the panda thing. I'm filled with pride for having such genius friends. I text Ida immediately. <laughs> Fucking brilliant with the panda slippers. I get a message back, 11 question marks. Okay, not Ida. So I, I, I think for a moment, maybe solving 
this mystery of the panda slippers will be how Julie and I bond and, and learn to live together like two normal people. And then she says, I even checked my eBay account to make sure I didn't send them to myself in my sleep. Okay. Two normal people is not a phrase that's going to find traction in this narrative. So I said, listen, are you really sure you cannot think of anybody who might have sent you these slippers? And she goes, well, I do have some enemies. Okay, here we go. Try to act surprised. She goes, yes, there's a man in that building. He's been stalking me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes. He's obsessed with mechanical animals. So, so, sorry, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, it was probably him that put the large mechanical rabbit in the elevator last year. I said, okay, hold on a minute. So uh, well, the, the, now I don't, yeah, exactly. I, I don't know how, I don't know how large a medium sized mechanical rabbit is. I don't know. It just sent me over the edge, you know, something and said, I've got to get out of here. I'm going down to the shop. She says, no, he cuts his toenails and puts them in the vegetables. What? I go down to the shop. I come back like 10 minutes later with a couple of grocery bags and I open the door and there she is with her air hostess smile back again. And she's got all the cleaning supplies out. She says to me, today's Wednesday. I'm like, yeah. Goes, you yeah, know how uh-huh. every other Wednesday that man comes to do the cleaning? <laughs> I've only been there one Wednesday. She goes, well, on the other Wednesdays, you have to clean. I think I don't remember this in the contract. <laughs> and she Did wants me to uh, clean every individual door handle with a different cloth and the light switches with another cloth. And she wants me to make sure I get all the dog hairs from underneath the sofa in a room I never even go into. Now, my, <laughs> my time for tact was over. And I said, listen, you do understand that I don't believe that you didn't buy those slippers for yourself. And she goes, yes. I guess the end of this story is that um, I came home one night and I was greeted by the unmistakable sounds of someone having sex. So I did the uh, good evening, which I never usually say, and I'm taking off my shoes. Oh, I'm taking off my coat very loudly. Let me accidentally drop my wallet on the floor. And And now I'm going to open the door very slowly and noisily. And it was a good thing I did that, you know, because I gave her enough time. So when I opened the door, she managed to zip up this, like, uh, hoodie with a zip. And uh, she was very sweaty and red in the face. Um, The dog was still on the floor. Okay. People who smile all the time have something to hide. There are several learning points from this story, and that's certainly one of them. I mean, there's one other little anecdote I could say about this, which is um, the polar bear is the most aggressive animal known to man. The bipolar bear is uh, doubly so. The bisexual polar bear will hump in a thing that moves. And a schizophrenic panda who thinks it's a polar bear called Napoleon, well, what I'm really trying to say is whichever way you look at it, the panda's fucked. A bit like the dog. When I was in my early 20s, I I had this old MG sports car. It's a small two-seat thing, you know. 
strictly for driving on sunny days. It was made in 1973. It was the same age as I was. I was living in Chicago. And my friend and I decided to take a trip to Detroit. He would go there frequently. I think his family was from Detroit. And he said, we can just take the train. It will take a few hours. And I was like, no, let's take the car. Let's drive. There were some things about this car that didn't function correctly. Quite, quite a few things about the car that didn't function correctly, actually. Uh, I'd only had it for about a week. But the stereo didn't work, so we bought a little boombox and put it in the back, and we were listening to the Beck Odelay album. Well, we were listening to it in the car park as soon as we got onto the road. You couldn't hear a damn thing over the noise of the engine. The main road going from Chicago to Detroit is remarkably badly maintained. I couldn't believe it. It's astonishing. Old truck tires, discarded truck tires on the side of the road. And there's these enormous trucks barreling past us on either side. I'm not sure these trucks can see us in this tiny little car. Night falls quite quickly and torrential rain starts up. One of the things that was wrong with this car is that it had a problem with the fuel pump. So every now and then, traveling at 55 miles per hour, you would have to throw it into neutral, pull out the choke, pump the gas, and then turn the key again. I think it was like the fourth or fifth time I tried doing this that my friend looked to me and I noticed exactly how scared he was. He was much paler than he usually looked. He looked like Snoopy. <laughs> and, and he said, what are you doing? <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I tried to explain as casually as I could that I was having to turn off the engine, put it into neutral, pump the gas and try and start it again with massive trucks thundering past in torrential rain. Finally, of course, the engine cut out and I couldn't start it again. Coasting along, you know, to the edge of the road. Suddenly there was this thing in the headlights and we hit it. This one of these truck tires probably. You know, that's how slasher films start. Well, Funnily enough, um, as the car came to a stop, the headlights illuminated the sign that said, do not pick up hitchhikers, Jackson County Jail. And of course, it was still torrential rain, pitch black, and now the car wouldn't start. So I say to my friend, you have to go behind the car and push. And I'm going to try and start it up. And uh, dutifully, he, he goes out and he starts pushing the car. Uh, but it, 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 won't, it won't start. Bless him, he really tried. And we went for about 100 meters of pushing <laughs> before eventually we could see a gas station. And we decided to leave the car, go to the gas station, and phone for, for a tow truck. The tow truck driver uh, turns up and lifts the car. As the 
lights of the tow truck illuminates the car. In the words of the tow truck driver, man, that is the biggest fucking hairiest dog I've ever seen. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Wrapped around the axle of the car with this massive hairy <laughs> furry being. It was awful. And uh, it was then that my friend snapped. And he started crying. Now, the only thing we can console ourselves with is that clearly the animal was already dead. He was already roadkill. Yeah, exactly. So it's, um, <laughs> it was awful because it was actually wrapped around the axle. The next day, once again, we find our tow truck driver because he had told us he knew of a place that had the speciality of servicing old English sports cars. The three of us set off. I'm looking through the rearview mirror. And then I see the, uh, the dog tumble off. And I thought, okay, thank God for that. So we arrive at this garage and he lifts the car up on these stilts. And we look underneath and it's so embarrassing and it's covered in blood and fur. Anyway, we go back in a couple of hours and he says, you've got a problem with the fuel pump. I said, yes, I know. He goes, well, I fixed that. But you've got another problem. You've got an oil leak. And I suspected this because before we had departed, I saw this large puddle underneath it, and I thought, is that oil? Oh, well, let me go. Well, we'll find out later on. Fortunately, they had this offer on oil that you could get five for the price of three. With the car fixed, uh, off we go. You could see the oil gauge going. We'd have to stop again to pour in more oil. Other cars would be filling up with petrol. We'd be throwing like five uh, oil containers. You pour it in and it was coming out the bottom. It's totally ridiculous. <laughs> uh, we make it almost at our destination. We pulled off the expressway. It's, it's just getting dark. There was a red light and in front of us there was a red car. Basically everything was black and red. It was just the blackness of night with red brake lights, the red traffic light, the red car, when there's been rain the night before, mm. and then the sun shines very intensely the next day, the, the water evaporates, but it brings up oil uh, <gasps> onto the surface of the road. This is very dangerous because you can slide. And uh, that's what we did. And we slid into the back of this car. It was an Avon lady we hit. And her license plate read... You deserve it. <laughs> the front of my car looked like an accordion. Her car was untouched. As we waited for yet another tow truck, we were all three of us standing by the side of the road. And she said, what do you guys do? My friend lit a cigarette, turned to her and said, we crash cars. <laughs> Oh, of course, the end of the story is that um, one day I got a job on a film shoot and uh, as I was driving that, something was pressing against my leg and I looked down and there was this wooden stake. It was like uh, something you can kill a vampire with that had somehow come through the rusted floorboards. I literally had a hole in the bottom of the car. 
that wooden stake, that was an omen right there. Either I was going to die or the car was going to die. So I'm going down Lakeshore Drive. It was so windy, garbage cans were being blown across the street. And suddenly there was this tremendous bang. I felt like someone was pushing the car. And I looked in the rear view mirror and I saw the upside down MG logo. The trunk of the car had been blown open and it was pushing the car like a sail. The car went into a spin and uh, I ended up on the side of the road. The rest of the film crew tried their best to help me start and push the car away, but I knew the car was it dead. It was done. I knew it was dead, but I didn't have the heart to tell these people who were really trying to help push the car away. In Chicago, if you pick up, like, I think it's like three weeks of parking tickets, then they take your car away and they turn it into a cube. And I dearly wished for that to happen. So I was getting all these parking tickets sent to me. Of course, I was ignoring them. And then after three weeks, silence. I thought, thank God, you know. It's done. It's done, it's all gone. Just an old second-hand man Trading you days for all And then about a month later, I got a phone call from the director saying, hey, Matt, I'm friends with the local police here, but I can't get them to stop putting tickets on your car anymore. What? You mean no. it's, st it's still there? <laughs> well, thankfully, I don't have any more stories about dead dogs. You've been listening to me in conversation with Angie Fajardo in Mexico City. The music was a 1923 recording of Canal Street Blues by King Oliver's Creole Jazz Band and other public domain jazz recordings from the 1920s. And I'm Matt Willis-Jones. Now put down your phone and go to sleep.